Welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Roundup Rodeo. Welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Roundup Rodeo. I'm your host, Phil Llewellyn. Thank you for joining us for Season 3, where we explore all things sports coaching. My guests are going to present their key learnings from a piece of content of their choosing, and we then discuss this application. Two excellent guests join me this week to kick off Season 3, so please could you introduce yourselves and tell us your current role. Yeah, hi Phil, thanks for uh, inviting me on, appreciate being here. My name is Tim Jones, uh, in no particular order, I'm a PhD researcher in the role of the coach developer at the University of Stirling. Uh, I'm also the head coach of the ladies team there playing SWPL2, technical director for Syngenta Juveniles Football Club, uh, who play out of Grangemouth. Uh, and finally, I host my own podcast called The Developer Tribe. Hi, everyone. Um, again, Phil, thanks, thanks for inviting me on. Um, my name's Ross Ensel. Um, again, in no particular order. <laughs> Just to reel them off. Um, um, I, my, my main role is a lecturer with Lincoln International Colleges at the University of Worcester in sport and exercise science and sports coaching. Um, my, my, kind of my main role in sports coaching, I, I work within the Academy at Wolverhampton Wanderers Football Club. Um, I have started a PhD, but that's, that's taken a pause at the moment, so I'm hopefully looking to revisit that in the summer. Um, so, yeah, look forward to the discussion today. Fantastic, gents. Absolute pleasure to have you both on. Thank you very much for giving up your time. Uh, just a quick reminder to those listening to check out the blurb on Rugby Coach Weekly for links to all the content that the guys discuss and recommendations to other high quality content. So we will get stuck into things straight away. Uh, Tim, we'll come to you first. What is it you're going to talk about? Yeah, thanks. Uh, so I'm talking about the concept of skillful neglect uh, today. It, it came up as part of uh, my dissertation for my master's, uh, which was looking at the perceptions of the role of academy football coaches as to social and emotional competency development in academy youth footballers. And this, this concept of skillful neglect uh, came up. Uh, really, I, when I first looked into it, it, it has some medical connotations and some morbid connotations. So I wasn't quite sure whether I wanted to use it, but the, the chapter that I've given the link to is an excellent uh, description of what it means in an education space. So Beverly Labette wrote this chapter on, on School for Neglect in, in response to uh, calls to help young people deal with uh, an information technology revolution. Uh, and it was written in 1988, so they weren't wrong. Um, you know, we can say that in hindsight. Um, and the chapter really talks about um, saying that pupils will need to be independent learners, unpredictable information handlers. Uh, and so the model of teaching and learning that uh, he created uh, suggests the teacher is a space creator uh, and is really kind of underpinned by assumptions that uh, the ability of a pupil to learn and to become flexible and adaptable will be more effective and more successful as pupils become more experienced in the activity that they're engaging with. Uh, so that's beginning to have constructivist tones to it. But I, I just loved this idea of the coach as space creator. I really enjoyed perceiving myself as this. Um, so Labette unpacks that a little bit more. Uh, the idea of skillful neglect as the ability of the teacher to do a few things. Neglecting to define any task to which the teacher has already decided there is one correct answer. Uh, instead, offering a space in which the pupils can explore their own learning. Neglecting to remove the problems that they experience from the pupils' grasp. So in instead, giving them time and support to explore that problem. And neglecting to judge pupils' work as either brilliant or rubbish. Uh, instead, kind of speculating as to the range of reasonable purposes for that uh, they may have with the products that they're creating to deal with the problem that they've had. And, and that really kind of sums up uh, what it meant uh, in, in terms of my master's work. It was those moments in practice. When do we notice something as a coach, but genuinely skillfully neglect to deal with it? so that the players have time to explore it further. That's fantastic. Uh, that's Yeah, it's a really interesting term, isn't it? 
Um, I think there's a couple of things to unpick within that if we can. So space creator, what can you just elaborate a little bit more in terms of what that means as a as a term? Sure. Um, so Labat carries on and, and kind of gives some some ideas and some principles about the things that we would have to accept about our role uh, if we're going to um, if we're going to produce things in this way. Um, and, and one of those about the space creation is, is you know, he calls it sensitive neglect. So to create a space for pupils that allows them to experience problems they get into without making that space so wide that uh, there's an uncertainty in there and that can create inactivity, frustration. Uh, and that starts to lean towards some of those things that I experienced as a coach educator, trying to uh, talk about games-based approaches, game-sense approaches, where quite often, unfortunately, tutees would see that as games the teacher. I'll, I'll, I'll just put it out there, a small-sided game, it'll be loosely defined, they'll learn. Uh, and, and to some extent, yes, but skillful neglect doesn't mean abdicating your role and your responsibility as a teacher or a coach to still manipulate that space um, and, and be present in that space that the pupils are, are experiencing those problems in. I, I find that fascinating. I think that manipulation we probably see is quite a negative word, but actually sure. I think with, with a lot of the, I guess, the mechanisms that we use as coaches now, we, we manipulate loads of stuff. And, and I, I, to be honest, I'm not, I'm saying that I've not heard loads of people say you can't use manipulation as a word in coaching, but I, to my mind, it, it sounds quite, it sounds like you're manipulating the person rather than the environment and all the other things. But actually, I think it's a really appropriate word in that sense. I, and I guess it's, it's that shift of the coach as the fixer, the, the coaches that, as you say, the holding the knowledge, being the one to to give the information and solve the problems for the players and and moving that into a more longitudinal element is is there time discussed within within kind of bev stuff um not in this chapter um but i would agree with you but i'd actually say that the you know the manipulation word isn't something that comes up in that chapter it's something i've i've used but i i, I came up with another term which was troublemaking and, and the reason that I use that term is that there are quite a there is quite a lot of work out there around talent needs trauma, uh, desirable difficulties, and occasionally that gets interpreted incorrectly. I think uh, from from what the articles wanted and what from that body of literature wanted. Um, so I use the term troublemaking because it's got that slight sort of mischievous sense to it, um, that slight tongue in cheek, and I think it's important that. Yes, I'm creating the, the literal physical space that, that uh, the um, pupils, or rather I should just say players, given that I'm a football coach, the players are experiencing. But actually I'm, I'm present, I'm part of that, I'm complicit with this, this space. So can I manipulate, can I create and make some trouble for players should they need it within the space, the physical space that I've created? So now I'm creating a, a, a mental space, I suppose. Um, that might not be the right term, but a mental space for, for the players to also experience problems that I'm directing them to within the space that I've created. Have you got an example of that? I'm just how, how do you go about bringing that to life? Yeah, no, I have, um, you know, and I'll, I'll try not to ramble on with it. But, um, you know, as an example, one of my main interests is around social emotional competency development. And so uh, this was particularly to help a couple of players explore that. And, um, it was at an academy that I was working at. The boys are 10 years old. There's two lads in particular and they've decided they don't like each other. It's, it's pretty clear. Um, and it's starting to affect their development as part of wider cliques. And I started thinking about, well, how are they experiencing the space that I'm creating for them at the academy? They're both left backs. So in small-sided games, they play opposite each other. In scenario games, they play opposite each other. In matches, they don't play together because they're coming on and off for each other. Well, I'm probably slightly the problem in, 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 this, in this case. Maybe not, but possibly. Um, so I created uh, or I used scenario games quite a lot. The, you know, the boys that I was working with, quite used to them. And I set them up uh, against each other. So playing on the same side, 
individual challenge of attacking wide full backs you need to be the players that gets an assist and a goal that will get you an extra point in this scenario game that's an individual challenge to you both first half you know they're kind of letting each other get on with it they're not really getting involved with each other so this is what I mean about that troublemaking I'm on the same side and I'm going you you do know he's got the same challenge as you yeah yeah yeah. oh well what why aren't you why aren't you challenging him a little bit more get a bit closer to him so now I'm creating that space they get a bit closer now we're seeing a few shirt tugs getting a little bit closer with each other sure enough the emotions run a little bit high one bad challenge second bad challenge okay yeah half time half time it's obviously not half time but I've called it just to give them a little bit of time to cool down again so they go off to their different teams so now they've got some time apart second half same thing again you know I'm I'm at the side when they go close and they have a really good chance oh that's brilliant I'm really enjoying this now keep going guys you know you're doing brilliantly so now I'm encouraging the connection between them even though it's something that they're going hard at um, and so by the end of that scenario game I've then asked individuals from two different sides to speak to each other about the game, about their experience of it. And I'm right next to these two. So I've just kind of ushered them together to make sure that it's those two that speak. And then I've left them to it again, partly skillful neglect, just allow them to have that experience. At the end of that scenario game, I've got them together um, at the end of the training session. Sorry, got them together and I said, I really enjoyed seeing you two, you know, fight against each other there and do it in a really good way. Um, what what force you both are how do i get you connecting more should we should we play you in the same game together in the game on the match should one of you be left back and one of you left wing and i got this sort of wry smile from them both i suspect one of them wanted to play left wing anyway um but i've then done that on the sunday and they they played brilliantly together you know, and I'm not saying that this would work every time, but they did play. We lost the match, actually, but they played brilliantly together, connected well, overlaps for each other, pressed well together. And all I had to do then at the end of the game was just say, you oh, know, well, we should probably do that again. And aren't you so alike in terms of what you're capable of? So this whole thing was this space creation within a scenario game. You know, the rest of the boys that I'm working with don't know this is happening. They don't know that this might be even my focus but it achieved what I was after, which was to give them a chance to have some connection together, work out any genuine dislike they may have had, but allow them to, to realize that they can get you know, hard against each other and compete. And it's, it's okay, they can negotiate that conflict. I think that's fascinating, especially for kids. Do you know what I mean? As, as people, young people growing up within sport, to have that experience of actually, yes, I can, as you say, compete against someone in a training environment in my own team, but ultimately we still got to work together. And I, that that's kind of the beauty of, of teamwork, isn't it? Just having that, I, I don't have to, you know, be your best friend, but we do have to find a way to make this work and and to coexist and, and be successful in, in whatever term that is, which is great. So thanks for the example. That's a really nice one. Ross, I'm keen to loop you in. So um, I've asked this before a few times on, on the podcast, but what are your thoughts around how long we feel development could or should take as coaches? Because I've got a thought, but I, I don't know whether it, I'm just generalizing and it's my own thought. So, uh, you know, are, are we as coaches maybe too quick to, to want to see change in development in players? Do, do we need to step back and, and have more of a kind of a longitudinal perspective? What, what are your thoughts and experiences around that? Um, well, I've, first of all, I want a fantastic example. Um, I think that's a, that's a common, that's a common thread, thread that you, you I, I've experienced it on teams before. I'm sure we all have where you don't necessarily get on with somebody in some sense, or you see two players that don't necessarily get on, but, Maybe that battle, maybe that connection, they can inspire each other to be better. And that's a fantastic example in that game. Um, in terms of development, I've always, I've always, I've always been a little bit cautious of this because how, how would you define it? Because we all, some development programs, they all employ at the same level, at the same age, and we've got to progress, progress in a linear fashion, and we're, and and we're not. Um, I, I think particularly in youth sport where 
there's a there's some kind of promotion on some occasions, not all of them, but some occasions where they're mini adults um, and have to behave and they have to hit this certain criteria at this point. Well, if I've expect, for example, if I played centre midfield and that's all I've ever played, and you're asking me to be competent at maybe passing and receiving in football, and I've done it loads, potentially you haven't, Phil. I'm going to hit that quicker than you. Does that mean you're a failure? No, it just means I've got more pre-existing knowledge and experience. So I, I, I think you need to be quite inclusive and quite patient with it because we all come at things with varying prior knowledge and experiences. So um, I think to define it, I think you need to be quite individual specific and not as a whole structure or maybe a bit more agency with it for me. Uh, yeah, I 100% agree. And I think I, I was definitely never a centre midfielder, by the way, never, never had that skill. But, um, it's yeah, I, I just wonder, do we do we get sucked into maybe this week to week as coaches? Because the game seems to be a lot of the measures, I would say, in, in most sports, how you perform on a weekend or on a Wednesday, or whatever it is, it's that kind of, okay, well, what can we do better next week? And I just wonder if that's just too short. When when you consider, I guess, international programmes, you'd want to be able to see some sort of change within that session, maybe, within that week. If, you know, if they're not changing week to week, then there's clearly an issue. Yeah. That's, that's as quick as a top-level elite professional can change. How quickly can my under-12s or under-15s or, you know, whatever change and I'm, I'm kind of thinking do, do we just get caught up in that oh well you know and, and that's a, a traditional coaching format I guess isn't it right that that first session after a game we need to fix what went wrong which okay yeah maybe we need to review it and do some stuff around it no problem with that and then that kind of second session is right prep for the next one well where where does that thread of longer term development live and, and I don't know if that's a, a an issue that we haven't overcome yet. I think some environments will clearly do that really well, but I'm thinking for a, a Sunday morning, you know, mum or dad type coach, how do they maybe go about removing some of that and being a little bit more, this This is a 10 year journey. This is a five year journey. This is across the space of the season. Do, do you guys just know what I mean? Yeah. Thoughts that? Yeah. So, um, um, so it's just that, um, I think particularly in youth sport, the things that I've learned a lot is, we don't know what the kids are coming in with. And it's kind of, as, as you say, Phil, I totally agree. It's kind of set up as if we're in control of everything and we're not. <laughs> like, for example, um, I, had, I had a young lad a few years ago. He was doing um, really, really well. Never had a problem. Never had a problem before. He was progressing really well. Um, and we did a session, the ones, which was suited to him. It was actually a central midfielder, actually. He must have been watching you, Phil. <laughs> um and 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 he come in and he, he was just he was just not he was not and it was a bit more challenging because obviously we'd gone in that linear fashion at, uh, at, on some occasions and he couldn't do it i think it was passing with his uh passing with his passing with his left foot and he was right footed and normally when it's a challenge we can't dress it up as if it's a fifa challenge oh you're on uh semi-pro now or whatever the, <laughs> the middle level is on fifa and now this is the um this is the professional one and he couldn't do it. He wouldn't even try and attempt it. And he, he looked really upset. And I asked him what was wrong. And he'd, um, I think, uh, I think a girl didn't give him a Valentine's card at school <laughs> or something. And it's just like that's affecting you. But you, you've got to think in the mind of a nine, ten-year-old, that's a, that's a pretty big deal on some occasions. So it's like, oh well, you know, we could set, we could set the environment up, but. What happens? What what happens when they come through the door? I just think, particularly coaches in in youth sport. I mean, I've I've learnt a lot. I'd, as long as we provide a positive environment for them to learn and grow and develop as a person, um, that's the main thing. And try not to put too much pressure on yourself because we know learning's more. I know I know you're only recording the audio, but it's it's more like a it's not a straight line. It's a it's well, it's like Milton Keynes, <laughs> you know, all those roundabouts. So. That'd be it for me. Yeah, I'd echo. I'd echo some of that. It, 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 I had an interesting experience coaching in in Saudi Arabia with a, a Chinese parents actually, but uh, coaching in Saudi Arabia and and this this little lad had come in. He'd been with us for three four weeks, and the parent asked me when he was going to receive his certificate, 
Um, what, what do you mean? What, what certificates? I haven't mentioned any certificates. Oh, well, you know, like, um, like they would have in, in swimming or, or something like that, you know, gets a certificate for being able to make a pass and gets a certificate for being able to dribble with one foot. And I no, like we don't do any of that here. You know, I had to really explain uh, to this parent you know, what, what it meant to not have that kind of, of program, not kind of have, have that kind of system. So the reason I bring that up is that, as, as Ross says, you know, it's, it's about the entire environment. It's about um, being aware of what the kids may bring with them to some extent, as best you can. And, and with, with that in mind, I steal this from uh, Kerry Bowley, one, one of my ex-lecturers. He, he used a, a question, what's the score today? And, and I've, I've used that ever since. It just gives me, give me a really good idea of, of where the players are at without actually having to uh, um, be too intrusive. So you literally, as they arrive, you know, what's the, what's the score today, Johnny? It's, oh, it's 2-0 uh, it's, it's to, to them. Oh, sound, sounds like you've had a rough day. You know, do, do you want to tell me about either of those or shall I just leave you to it for five minutes? Oh, no, I, I, don't, I don't really want to talk about it. I mean, you, you've got amazing amounts of information straight away uh, without having to go into too much detail. And you can pick up on it later, of course. But there's ways in which then us as coaches, you know, me talking about that space creation before with those, those two lads. If I had asked that question and one of them had turned around to me and said, it's 4-0 to them today, I'm having a shocker. Probably wouldn't have carried on with what my thoughts were, you know. So we have to be able to be able to adapt uh, for, for the session that we might have in, in place. And I think that touches as well on that development thing, Phil, that sometimes we write sessions, we spent ages writing them. We've got a really good idea of um, and picture of what's going to happen and the development they're going to go through. And we're buzzing as coaches to get on the field. And then it's going to go nothing like that because we've forgotten to take into consideration the players. So we have to be able to shift and adapt. So space creation is the parameters of it. Does it allow me to manipulate it enough, depending on what I'm noticing when I arrive at the field? Yeah, completely agree on, on both elements. And Ed Hall talks about this on one of the Magic Academy uh, podcasts and, and about an imagined future. You know, when we're planning stuff, we're always living in an imagined future and actually that that's kind of fine you you have to but it's i guess being better at imagining more stuff happening in that future so and um, because we'll, we'll tend to just imagine perfection don't we as you say we'll just go with this yeah i know exactly what's going to happen and then blah, blah 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 rather than okay well what am i planning for if half the kids don't show up what am i planning for if if they've had a falling out or if they haven't got a valentine's card and, and by the way that's still a big deal ross if you don't get one it's not just for nine-year-olds like there's yeah and anyway that's probably a whole different discussion um but i, I no, i think you're right and it's it's that how much is can you over plan can you you know you have you have a framework and i think there's a lot of skill and just i guess you learn for ex experience for for that type of thing um i'm going to circle back around if i can so you, you mentioned earlier around um you know asking questions for which you don't have answers as a coach and and if you know this will be great for me because i'd be keen to get both your opinions because this is something i still struggle with when i'm formulating those questions there's I, because i <laughs> inquisitive whatever because I, I want to have an answer and I, and I really struggle to frame that in a way uh, quite a lot of the time that it's not leading it to the answer I have. And it's not to say that my answer is right or better, but I'm kind of going before I've almost asked the question to the player in my head, I'm going, yeah, actually, I've probably got three or four answers to this. That's great. Like that's, that's a good thing to have as a coach. But then how do you ask those questions without leading them to the answers you want? It's, it, it starts with finding out what's going on for them. What, 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 what were you thinking in that moment? What are you seeing? And, and really allow them to, to explain that first. Uh, and then once you've got an understanding of what it is that, that they've seen, which might be completely different, usually is completely different to what you've seen because you're not the one playing at that time. You're also seeing the game as a very different game to what they are. Now you find out what it was they were doing at that time. I mean, that sometimes that, that stops me dead in terms of the line of questioning that I might have gone down. 
and now I might go down a different line or I might leave it entirely and, and see whether they do the same thing again next time and try and figure out what the what the chronic issue might be. Uh, but yeah, starting that first questions as being, I mean, I'm assuming you're talking about working with individuals in that in that case. Yeah, 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 definitely. I think it's it's that. And it depends, I guess, and probably more context is useful there. It, it, I think it depends on the element of the session I'd be working in. So I think tactically, I've got no problem with that. Like you're just, you're going, you're doing exactly that, aren't you? You're having that conversation around, what did you see? Why did you execute the way you executed? Whatever it might be. I find within the skill stuff, when, when we kind of hone into some of the detail, it's a little bit like there are, Maybe there's never one way to do something, but there are more effective ways, arguably. And actually, you're kind of in that place where you're going, if you don't know the answer, at what point do I need to just give you this information? And, and I can ask you, you know, a lot of questions to try and lead you somewhere. And maybe we're just wasting time. Maybe I need to go one or two and then go, OK, you're, you, you clearly don't know. But then again, is that you don't know my answer or you don't know a answer? And, and I think it's when you kind of get into that, I guess, the skill development piece, it becomes a little bit more honed around, am I leading you? It's how much discovery is within this? I think that's that's probably the bit where I kind of go, mm, I'm not sure if this is as effective as it could be. Uh, just, just to pick up on, on that, Phil, I remember a, I've got an example of that a few years ago. I, I, I was, I've, I've um, derived some of my questioning from, um, from uh, Grahania and Light's work. And the first question I always try to ask, if I've seen if I've seen something and a player's he's done something completely, uh, uh, well, something that I wasn't expecting in a sense, um, and I and I always ask, what what what's the point of this practice? What skill are we trying to do? Um, and there was this one player, there was this one example where he was doing something, and he was just he just was doing something completely that I wasn't expecting. I think it was passing and receiving, um, and I said. Well, what 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 are we trying to do in this practice? And he gave a completely different answer, and it made me reflect and thought, hmm, if he's thinking that we're doing this, maybe it's not, maybe it's not the player that's discovering the wrong answers. Maybe it's the way the game or the practice is designed. So we quickly adapted in the moment. So I think I think sometimes it comes it, like you, like as um. As both of you said, you, you need to look at their perspective. You need to ask why they're doing the things that they're doing. It might, it might be the game. The game might be designed in a way that they feel that's the most effective. And in terms of giving them the right answer, maybe it's on a continuum. Maybe you ask quite an open question and then you work your way down to command if you have to. But um, So maybe it's, maybe it's three or four questions or maybe it's the way the game's designed. But as, as we said, that initial conversation will probably frame that, I think. I, I always use the funnel analogy when I when I kind of yeah. do education stuff because I think it just it sells that quite nicely. It's that as you say, really open ended, top top level question that that could go anywhere, or are you going somewhere in between, or are you going with a very you know direct question at the the smaller end of the funnel? Which yeah, it, there's definitely elements of that, but it's even if you go with a direct question, can how direct can you be without having an answer in mind? That that that's an interesting one for me. It is, but it's also, forgive me, it's slightly assuming that the coach is central to that position, uh, to that moment. So, so my question would be, is there a way in which we could get that player to make some further understanding, explore the problems, explore their learning by connecting with other players? Can they, can they co-construct those moments with their peers? So, I mean, the, the, the obvious one, and I, I don't like using it a lot, but the obvious one is watch so-and-so. How, how's, how's he or she dealing with it right now? What, what, what are they doing? Is that something you could do? Um, that's, that's the obvious one, but it's, again, trying to get them to connect a little bit more and just removing yourself slightly from that that inner space of where that player is dealing with that that problem that you've highlighted and you've you've not you've uh, noticed at some point if it's chronic 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 and it's just continues to be a problem you've tried these other more sort of learner centered approaches you, you might have to bring bring the, the the player out just work with them 
on that technique one-to-one for a little bit. Yes, okay, get them back in. See if you can go and put that back into the game. Um, but yeah, I try to delay that process as long as I can. You know, are there other ways in which I can get them to explore that problem for themselves? And uh, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because time then becomes a factor. So actually, how quickly are we um, wanting them to find a solution to that? Because it could be okay. Well, what other resources are there? As you say, other players within the session, within the moment, or it could be actually we'll come back to this next week. Go away and find some YouTube clips, or just watch some games. So. Yeah, then I think it's that really interesting. Do I, from my perspective or the player's perspective, do we need you to get to a solution quite quickly? And wh- why? And and sometimes you're going to need to do it in the moment, I guess. And then other times you can go, well, this is a really nice problem you've got now. This could take you three or four weeks to solve. That's not a problem. And it's, yeah, there, there's the beauty of, I guess that's the art, isn't it? Actually working out, you know, what, why is why is it a priority? Why are we going to choose the way we choose? What are we not choosing to do? I think that's that's always a nice question in terms of in, in your own head. You know, there's you say there's three or four ways I could coach this. Why why always go with the one I've always done? Which is a yeah, some really good reflections. So thank you very much. Um, we will shift that one on. So Ross, we will come over to you. Um, what is it you're going to be talking to us about? Um, I'm going to I'm going to be talking about questioning, um, and I'm going to be the the paper that I sent across is a research paper from Light and Harvey in 2015. So looking at questioning to develop learning in team sports. Um, so I'm just going to give you some of the theoretical underpinning first. The predominant the, the predominant theory is social constructivism, um, which for those who, who are unfamiliar with it, it's um, you know learning co-constructed between people in the environment um, and in particular um, they refer to Vygotsky's zone of proximal development so the, the, the space what the learner can't do unaided but can do with help from, and support from the coach um, and really and they really highlight that the most effective instruction is those type of questions that we've just reflected on that's pitched to that zone so one ones that they or that they can't do without assistance from more knowledge, more knowledgeable others that may be the coach, it might be a fellow player. Um, another underpinning theory is complex learning theory, which is that it kind of rejects the, the method that learning is an endpoint and just the knowledge to be gained, but it's an ongoing process of adaptation um, and, and that real decision-making and cognition is a social process between us as a team. Um, and it's not an individual process. It's dependent on other factors, which if you think predominantly in football and rugby, invasion games in general, we're kind of reactive in response to what we see and the, and the players that are around us. Um, and it involves, the, the key ones, involves process of interpretation. So we've all got prior knowledge and experience. We interpret things in different ways. Um, and it's about adapting to the environment. Um, and the, the purpose of questioning in terms of this context, and particularly in team sports, we can, de- we can develop decision-making, awareness, um, and it, it provides an interaction of the mind and the body where it, we're kind of embodied in the environment. There's, and a lot of approaches kind of separate the mind and the body. Like for example, if, we, if we're just doing technical skills in block practice, I'm only working the body. I'm not working the mind. I'm not making any decisions. But through questioning, I can discover, I can, and by answering questions, I, I can, by, by letting the players have a go in the environment with the body, I can then ask them a question to bring their actions to the, to the conscious mind. I'm doing this because of this. So it creates that connection. Um, and just to give you a bit of context, in, in team sports and education, a lot of the studies of, of have looked at what type of questions that coaches have asked and they call it the in, in initiation response evaluation feedback method so Phil if I'm asked, if you're my player I'll ask you a question but I'm only asking you that question and it's a yes or a no answer but you've got a 50% chance of getting it right I don't know whether you know, I don't know whether you know it or not and it and it's I'm, I'm asking you that question but what about everybody else you've responded in response to what other people are doing, what the other teams are doing. I don't know that because I've only asked you. Um, and they give frameworks for, and it's recall, but it's not 
developing any any other awareness uh, and they give some really nice examples in terms of how how coaches can can develop this within practice so one one example would be question starters so the coach would ask 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 to ask small groups right what what's the what's the game that we're playing what's the success what are we trying to do how can how can players help and support us um another another one that is that this is at the advanced level of the spectrum is um the debate of ideas so the players actually it I, i've done this before i've called it a, a clock moment i should call it a new now moment really but I've, <laughs> I've called it a clock moment where players have got a list of question starters like for example um what's and it's kind of reflection so um what's the team good at what are the key players what are we good at what are the, some of the key weaknesses what what's the key to success and they give each other a role that they need to perform through discussion that will give them success in that game. They might not get there, but that element of cognition and questioning, they're developing it as a team and not necessarily as an individual. Um, so it, it, it's a really useful paper and it gives coaches, a, not a framework, but some ideas and discussion points of how to implement questioning within the session. Um, to develop their individual understanding and team understanding as well. Um, so it's some really, really good points and I would recommend it. Fantastic. Thanks for that, Ross. And I'm going to jump in before we kind of maybe unpick some of the detail within yeah. that. Um, question for both of you. How important is it for coaches to know coaching theory? Because we debate this on our masters quite a lot, and, and I'm always conscious of the audience that the people will listen to this. It will be, you know, quite inexperienced coaches to to very experienced coaches, and, and everything in between. And I'd, I'd be fascinated if we if I did a survey of of all of them, actually, how many would know and understand those types of theories that you've just discussed around learning or coaching in itself. Is it something they should know, have to know? Crucial, not crucial, where where would you guys sit? I think that within coach development, it part of the role of the coach developer, in my opinion, is to bridge that gap between theory to practice. So it's important, I think, that we've done it or we're doing it. You know, you're at the coal face, you're you're coaching at that time. So you can start to talk about the experiences that you've had. I mean, the amount of times I've been able to really connect with a coach in terms of their learning around theory because we've had a connected experience whether it's we've both coached in the US we've both coached at rec level with kids who um, have got their boots on the wrong way around you know you, you laugh but it happens you know it, they've got the shin pads on the outside of their jeans there's a difference depending, you know, what you're trying to achieve within that environment is going to be very, very different to what you're trying to achieve within an environment that's more high performance. So it's applying that theory to the in situ experiences of those coaches. So yes, I do think coaching theory is important. I'm obviously biased that way, but yes, I do think it's important, but what's more important is connecting it to your own coaching process. So as coach developers and as critical friends to other coaches that we work with, are we helping people to not only maybe know what that theory is, but actually how does this work for me in my context right now? I, I, I totally agree. I think, I think application is, is and applying it to your own environment is, is, is the massive key in terms of, in terms of theory. I, I, I totally agree. I, I think we need to, well, I, I think it's. I think it teaches you to be a bit reflective as well. Why am I doing what I'm doing? What am I trying to achieve? Uh, why have I why have I set up the learning environment in this way? Um, and you come back to Bordeaux, the Bordeaux habitus and, and little theories like that, where it's we've always done it this way. Okay, but why? I don't know. <laughs> we've just done it this way, um, and it's kind of like okay, but what are we trying to achieve doing it this way? Has it worked? If so, how do we know it's worked? And it's just it's just being reflective on why we're doing what we're doing, I, I think. And I, that, that's why I, I, I think theory is important and how you apply it in, in the concept of how you work. And you can't totally apply it because it's not, some of it might not be, uh, some, some of it might not be achievable to be applied. But I, I think if, as long as you're reflective and you understand why you're doing what you're doing, then I, 
I think I think it's quite important. That's great. I mean, to be honest, I wasn't expecting either of you to go, no, it's not important considering the roles you have. So I, I wasn't trying to stitch you up there, but it, I, I just find it fascinating the journey we go through as a coach, because even, I mean, I, I did my undergrad at 26, so I'd been coaching for 10 years by that point and, you know, sat in a room with 18, 19 year olds that are, are kind of doing some coaching, but not loads, but they're not necessarily you know, full-time coaches at that point, or they don't know that they love it as much as they might end up loving it and all those types of things. I'm going, is this theory stuff wasted on you? Like, have you got the level of experience as a coach to appreciate how the change in theory might have a different interaction? Are you coaching regularly enough and being stretched enough at a level with players where this is more applicable than than kind of I sounds really rude but like that glorified babysitting type coaching do you know what I mean it's, it's kind of just going I'm facilitating something but we're not really about actual coaching here um but then I kind of go okay well if you don't pick up the theory and the other pieces of information and, and understand the craft you can spend quite a lot of time gaining that experience doing stuff either the way you were coached or the way it feels natural, but that maybe then becomes way harder to change once you go on a journey of exploring what the theory is. And it kind of seems to be this, this just kind of complete contradiction that we we probably want to be able to coach way more when we're younger to get that experience whilst aligning it with theory, but we just don't necessarily have that opportunity because as a young person, you're probably still playing and coaching and you're just not thinking in that way. So I... I I've definitely got no solution for the challenge of of how we upskill those people that want more knowledge in that area and make it, I guess, maybe more accessible and a little bit easier to understand. Because it, again, if you're a Sunday morning mum or dad coach, how much academic reading are you doing? Uh, do you know what I mean? How many how many coaching books are you spending your time reading, or or are there other simpler ways? Um, coach education courses might touch on it but it's not something I've necessarily they might do it in a in a less academic way I guess but I'm not sure you'd come away from a level one or a level two going or oh, I now understand you know complex learning theory or social constructivism or something like that I'm, I'm just not sure how we bridge that gap I, I think you started to touch on it there that, that it's it's partly language it's the language that we use you know if I'm if I'm going to stand in front of a group of level ones and talk about theory in those theoretical terms a i might not get it right myself because i probably don't have a, f- a full understanding of every single part that we're going to go into so falling myself put myself into that trap but but secondly yeah the, the, they're not going to accept access that language in the same way they're probably not interested in that language in the same way so i've immediately switched off the, their engagement with it so what is the language that we can use that allows them to really understand what is effective and what effective practices they can do within their context? So as you said, maybe, maybe uh, you know, babysitting, coaching, grass, grassroots coaching to some extent, you know, the grassroots uh, experience is very, very vast and diverse and wide. Um, what are we trying to achieve in that moment then? What are we facilitating? What, what does effective practice look like? What can it look like in that context? It's, it's, it doesn't necessarily, I don't think that coaches necessarily have to have a really good underpinning understanding of the particular theory that they might be enacting in that moment. Say, for example, Ross talking about questioning, but we can definitely talk about better questioning practice. And, and, and getting uh, coaches to understand how that works in their context. So, you know, one of the things that we find with questioning, or two, two rather, is very often closed. So it's a yes or no answer. That's the first, first issue. And the second is it takes way too much time out of the, the session. So the ball roll, is, is, uh, the ball roll percentage isn't particularly high. So we can definitely address both of those without having to really go into uh, into deep theory if that person then wants to go into it great we can signpost them to it but I, I don't think we need to go into really deep theory to still be able to affect that practice and and that's interesting even in, in i'm just reflecting on the terminology i've used i guess actually slipping into that is there would you ever have absolute knowledge of 
a theory or, or no you know because you're still going to be discovering it all the way through so even even just that mentality of actually yes we're going to grow our knowledge but it's never going to be absolute it's never going to be finite because yeah and again absolutely fine if some people think you can that that's that's not a problem if if they believe that you know you can knowledge is transferable in that way and it's it's not socially constructed and everything else and then it you know we get into these these kind of fascinating theoretical conversations around well actually how how does that work how does it look but um yeah i i think that's just that as you say stick stick with it in practice but if if we put it at that practice level which i think is the the relevant level are are you ever understanding the theory would be my question do you do how do you take someone on that journey beyond just understanding good practice or do we need to is is that just down to the the individual relationship and their individual desire to know a bit more about something that helps them or actually can they just exist for a whole career going as long as i'm investing in in understanding and developing my own levels of practice that's absolutely fine i don't i don't need the kind of the extra bit that that layers onto that i'm still not sure I, I I totally agree. Totally agree. It's, it's it's down to individual choice. I think a bit of agency as well. Like for example, if I, it, 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 it it's it's almost like any of us. If we if we found something interesting and we wanted to know more behind it, we'd go ourselves. We'd take the initiative and go and read more. So as as, as Tim says, there, there's things that we can influence from a coach education perspective, such as support with questioning, support with maybe practice design how they set up the learning environment, but. There is some agency to it as well, I think, in terms of individual choice. Um, just come back to what Tim said as well. There's, there's, there's some misrepresentation sometimes in terms of, um, I think in particular about teaching from understanding, and a lot of there's some educators that, that were saying, or some coaches were saying, oh, let the game be the teacher. And I took that as, oh, we'll just chuck a ball in, <laughs> let them play, and then the magic will happen. Well, there's more to it than that. And I think as long as you make them aware there's more to it than that, they can, they, can have, they can have that reflective conversation, they can have that professional development by going away and reading more on it. Um, because as we know, applying theory to practice isn't as simple as that. There's more, there's more nuanced areas. So, yeah, I think it's individual agency, but providing support if they need to or if they want to, I should say. And, and part, part of the problem with suggesting theory to, to coaches and I, I've done this too many times uh, for, for my own liking, thankfully reflect on it, but is you, you give them something, you give them a practice to, to try, you give them something to enact in their, in their practice, you give them the theory behind it. I've had it happen a lot where coaches have come back and gone, it doesn't work. Well, what do you mean it doesn't work? Would It didn't work. Okay, well, what was happening? I'll give you an example. I, I, uh, one of the practices I was trying to get some of my coaches uh, at, a, at a club in, in the US to, to use was a, a tactical timeout. So halftime, a small-sided game, they've got a question to discuss. The kids discuss that, and then they go into the second half and they try and enact what they've talked about. Really simple. Yeah, didn't work. Okay, why not? Oh, well, they were messing about. Okay, well, is this the first time they've tried something? Yeah. Okay. What were you doing at that time? Oh, I was setting up the next practice. Okay. So the, the immediate reflection for me was I hadn't explained it particularly well. They possibly needed to see it being done as well before I actually sent them off and go, go on, have a go. So poor, poor coach development from, from my point of view, but also that we can't necessarily just go, hey, here's the theory, have a go. And as Ross says, the coaches need to have some agency themselves that, you know, the, if we try something the first time, ah, it doesn't work now, I'm just going to ignore it now. It's easier for me to ignore it. Persevere. The, the kids have only experienced that once as well. And again, yeah, it almost comes back to that. Well, how quickly or how willing are we to, to spend some time on waiting to see that change? If, you, if you're going to bin something off after one session, you know, one go, not even one session, one part of a session and one go, I, okay. If you, if you applied that to any other kind of format, it would, it would just be a bit bizarre, wouldn't it? Like my car didn't start, so I'm never going to drive a car again. 
Oh, hold on, I, this 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 is a little bit extreme now. That's that's kind of come back to the real world. So yeah, I, and I wonder if that's the environment that we exist in as coaches. Is that a fear of failure? You know, are, are we thinking that people are watching us and observing us in an environment? And if you know parents are seeing kids mess about, that that's that that's not right for that session. And I, I guess yeah, context is obviously absolutely you know crucial in understanding those bits and why that coach is felt that that's a failure rather than an exploration um are, are we maybe too quick to judge and i guess social media is can be terrible for this it can be great for some things but definitely not nuance and context but um i'm, I'm interested and hopefully you guys have got time to to kind of just i guess touch on this a little bit but the game being the teacher i'm really interested in in why we think that has i guess come about in the format in, in the populist view it's this kind of as you say, chuck a ball in, whatever sport it is, well, they'll just learn some stuff through playing. Um, and I'm wondering, is that is that if we if we as coach educators of governing bodies, as as people that maybe have more knowledge, have we done a really poor job of actually selling that message, or is it just a complete misconstruction of the theory and the science? What what are your thoughts on that? some elements it, it's a little bit above there is some um mis misconstruct behind it it's they will be learning something because they're learning in the context but it might not it might not be directed towards a particular goal as a team and i think particularly game-based approaches and as tim said earlier there, there's things we can influence we're giving we're allowing coaches to provide a realistic environment for the players to learn it so they should be able to transfer what they've learned but I think it needs, like, as you like, a lot of whatever learning theory is, we all know it needs to be directed towards something. It can't. Yes, we've got all these interpretations, but we need to have interpretations on one particular thing or one particular concept because then we can discuss them. It can't be, um, oh, Tim's on the left wing. Tim's just going to try and Tim's going to try the Andy Robertson cross. He's just going to keep looping it in um, in the air. But we don't play like that. Oh, but Tim's learning. That's not what we're trying to do. <laughs> um, so it needs to be directed towards something. And I think that I, I, I don't think on some occasions that message may not have been clear enough, but that, that may just be down to um, the actual time constraints within within certain environments, potentially. It's a, it's, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because it's, I, I suspect the let the game be the teacher stuff perhaps came as, as a just a direct response to let's get away from laps, lectures and lines. And that obviously needed to happen with a pendulum swang and it, it, it swang too far the other way. Um, so we, it, it feels to me like we're in that process of now settling back into the, the, the middle ground, but, but also giving the coaches more agency in, in the moment look, don't abdicate your responsibility as part of being a coach in, in, in that experience, in that environment. Yes, it is important to create the space in, in such a way that we're, it will hopefully direct players within that environment towards the, re, the returns we're after. But yeah, don't abdicate your responsibility in that moment. So what, what are the, the, the practices? What are the behaviors that we can use as a coach to influence the environment? And then it, come, it does come down to those theoretical underpinnings. Am I more coach-centered? Am I more learner-centered? How much time do I have available? Where are the players at at this moment? All of those things become contextual considerations. So yeah, just the pendulum swang. The pendulum swang too far the other way. Um, and, and we ended up with, I think, especially some of the young coaches going through the early coach education courses, not really understanding that they have a lot of power and, and that that power can be used in a really, really positive way. And, and for whatever reason, the language that was used, the way in which it was taught, we, we somewhat took that power away from them a little bit. They talk about a repositioning, don't they, as a co of the coach, particularly in games-based approaches, as a, a co-participant in learning, but it's, act, it's actually swung to, it feels like it's swung to a place where 
we're just a goalpost. We just ask the question, then we oh, we, we run away again. But we're actually really powerful. We can be a really powerful tool in terms of probing. Okay, tell me why you think that. Tell tell me why that's the case. Well, why is that different from what we've done before? So it's probing to develop that higher order thinking, isn't it? And that decision making. Because if we lead them to one answer, to a, in a, to a certain extent, it's kind of we kind of like put an endpoint on it. Oh, I can't learn anymore. Well, we can always probe. Okay, well, when might that work? When might it not work? So you're always probing to develop that higher order understanding, I think. So we're, we're repositioned, as, as Tim said, from a place where it was very coach-centred. And on some occasions, players weren't allowed to make any decisions. If, right, if, you, if it goes there, you cross it there. If you, when his head goes down, you run there. And we've gone, and it needed to go from a place that was more player-centred or athlete-centred. Of course it did, but has it swung too far and not is there some middle ground now where yes we're given autonomy in terms of questioning but we're still there to probe we're not the, we're not the only gatekeeper of knowledge but we're one door that players can use if they need to in some sense i also wonder whether we got slightly confused with just play so actually our, our you know what's the role of play within a um coach session you know, is that your 10 minutes at the start where they've just come out of school and there's just tons of energy and they just want to just bomb around and do whatever they want to do and enjoy the, the time with their mates because they don't get that as much as they used to maybe 20, 30 years ago? I, I don't know. But I also wonder whether it was just this extension of, well, no, play's good. And and if if I kind of construct a couple of rules, then it will just happen. And I, I think it's, it's definitely being clear that there's still room for play. Like play's absolutely crucial and doing maybe more of that would be awesome. But it's, yeah, it, it's the role of that. And again, come back to that piece of what's the context of your environment? What's the pressure you feel as a coach? If if parents are paying for their children to be at a session and they're just watching them, you know, mess about for 10 minutes, uh, what are they thinking? What do they see as the role of the coach? And, you know, almost some of those coaching skills around actually just noticing and, and silence and those types of things. If, if we're stepping back and we're not in the middle and we're not refing and we're not being imposing ourselves, do people judge, make a judgment on that, that, that maybe don't understand it. So if we got a, a bigger role to play in explaining some of the coaching processes to the people that might be influencing them, even if that's subconsciously. And, and that would take a fair bit of reflection or some, maybe some out, out, you know, external kind of observation to see that that has an impact. But I think it then, it becomes a ridiculously complex thing. And that's uh, for people in environments that, um, you know, that recognize the complexity, that's fine. For a grassroots coach on a Sunday morning, holy shit, like, this is a phenomenal task that they're agreeing to undertake maybe without recognizing just how much is involved in this. Um, and yeah, it, it just makes me think all the time, you know, what, what can we be doing more of to, to help them? What can we be doing less of? And I, I definitely think probably less, less judgment of some of that type of stuff. I think it's easy for, for people to kind of do that, you know, query and question without the context and without the understanding and, and probably just more conversations, which I guess lockdown has facilitated in lots of ways. I've, I've never seen so many conversations, which I just think is really positive. So um, cool. Right guys, we will, uh, we'll look to kind of shift this on and wrap it up. So what, uh, what content is it that you're going to be recommending to listeners to uh, potentially take a look at? Yeah. Uh, my one is uh, a, a paper called game spirituality by Chad Carson. Uh, I've been described as a hippie coach before, so I'm leaning into that now. Um, this paper, uh, although I don't necessarily agree with all of it, um, there is an element of playing, uh, being part of a sport, whether that's team or individual, playing games that does have and connects with, for me, a spiritual side of who we are as human beings. Uh, and yes, that, that will definitely lean into that, that, that uh, definition of me. So uh, that's, that's going to stay with me forever now, but there we are. Um, yeah, go and go and take a look. It will um, give, give you a sense of where that part of what we do, why we're involved in sport. Uh, it, yeah. It's, it's well worth a read. Love that. Definitely check that out. Peace and love as coaches. We need more of that. <laughs> Definitely need more of that. <laughs> Ross, uh, what are you suggesting? <laughs> um, uh, talking about bridging, um, 
applying theory to practice. I'm recommending a book from it, it's seven years old now, but it's still really relevant. It's game sense performance for um, participation, pedagogy, and performance, and it's a really nice um, it's a really nice tool for coaches that takes all this theory um, and it simplifies it so coaches um, to to apply that within practice using the game sense pedagogy. It's got examples from about I think it's 15 different sports. Um, how they can apply this game sense pedagogy, some example practices as well. So it's it's a really nice tool between um, theory and application. So go and check it out. Fantastic. Love that. Uh, gents, really appreciate your time. This has been a really, really enjoyable discussion. I think we got into some great areas and probably could have gone on, as always, for far longer. And I'm definitely walking away with... Um, yeah, more questions and answers, but that's that's definitely a good way to uh, to spend an hour. So thank you very much. Uh, I'll round up the roundup. So we hope you find it useful. Thanks again to my guests for their time and contributions to an excellent discussion. Links to all the content discussed are available in the blurb on Rugby Coach Weekly. Please subscribe, like, and share. And I'd like to thank you for listening. Wish you all the best and go well.